Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. We just got off a great call with Jody uh, all the way from Germany, staying up late to uh, meet up with us in our time sinks here uh, across, across the world. So it was great to meet up with her, an international educator. We're going to get to that interview in just a minute, talking about PE and specifically early childhood PE. But I think there's something in here for all of us. But of course, I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Trisha. How are you doing today, Trisha? I'm doing well, Jeff. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's really interesting. Jody is, of course, an early years PE teacher, but so much of what she said, you know, we kept connecting to it in terms of thinking about adult learners and their mm. needs as well. So again, if you don't know, Jody, uh, Jody Matei is an experienced international educator, leader, and innovator advocating for inclusive, meaningful mo movement in early childhood education. We will talk specifically about an amazing post that she authored for the Fizz Equity blog. Listeners, please know that link will be over there in the show notes. Jeff, uh, what do you think listeners should be paying attention, watching out for in today's conversation? Yeah, I think the the big overarching kind of shifted thought for me uh, as as we kind of reflect on this after the fact, was this idea of just continuing asking ourselves, what do students need? You know, what are the, and you'll hear Jody talk about this a lot, like what are the underlying things that are leading to the behavior? And she really digs into that of, you know, when a kid has a behavior, your first thought isn't, why are they acting out? It's what's causing them to act out. And I think she does a really great job of just uh, talking through and, and thinking about that as an educator and just constantly asking our, ourselves that question. What what do kids need? Where are kids at? Where are they coming from? Where are they going to? What might they need in this moment? And I know that's a question that educators are constantly asking themselves anyways, but I think today's episode is a real good just you know moment to sit back, reflect on where are we doing this and how are we doing this in different ways. Let's talk about maybe three things uh, that listeners should be listening for in today's episode. Trisha, do you want to get us started? What's something that you think really kind of stood out that, that we want listeners to kind of be honed in on? Jody reminds me of something that I've heard so many friends who work in early childhood education mention, and that's just how collaborative their approach is, how they really do make sure that they're checking in with each other. They're having a lot of conversations about students. And so I think that's that's really something to listen out for and to reconsider, you know, in what ways are we as a team collaborating if we're noticing that a student is struggling? How are we taking a collective approach to that and being responsive as a unit of teachers and not just saying, okay, I'm just going to, you know, make my own way forward and trying to support the student, but really tapping into the insight that that child's other teachers may have as well. What about you, Jeff? What's something that, uh, that yeah, you want to highlight? I think the thing that we continue to come back to it through this episode is that we all need movement. No matter your age, movement is so important. Uh, you know, whether you're an educator, you know, on your feet all day, if you're a student who happens to be sitting for six hours in six different periods throughout your school day, you know, movement is key and understanding what you need in that moment as well. This self-advocacy piece that we constantly are talking about here at Shifting Schools, I think comes through in today's episode. So be listening for some of that in here today too, of just how do we support each other in knowing or in understanding what we need in that moment as well. 
And what about the the third thing? I think both of us kind of talked about this idea of how do we just involve parents and caretakers in in movement? Yeah, and Jody will make uh, you know a really great case for why when we are trying out strategies in the classroom, we need to inform parents and caretakers because Jeff, I know you and I have experienced this as educators when you do take that team approach and when that child has had so many opportunities to try the strategy out both at home and in the classroom, they sort they sort of get into that practice of like this is the thing I know that I need to do, right? And that's what we want. We want to be empowering students to, okay, this is a strategy that will work in this moment. And it almost becomes like muscle memory for mm. them. And I really think that's only possible if different environment, I'm trying it out again. Because the reality is these strategies are not just for school, right? We want yeah. children to, uh, you know, if they need to regulate, they need to dip into a self-regulation strategy when they are five years older and they're in a different environment, this is something they've tested, they've tried, uh, and and they remember. Yeah. I just think, you know, this is just, again, a great episode for to be reflective about how am I including movement in my classroom, regardless of what age I teach or what subject I teach. And so I'm excited to get this one out and into your ears uh, as just a great reflective piece. But before we hear from Jody today, a quick word from today's show sponsors. Just a quick reminder before we get to today's episode that you can save $50 at the upcoming NCCE conference here in the state of Washington, March 21st through 23rd by using the code SHIFTINGSCHOOLS50. It's always a great conference and I'll be there doing six sessions, including two on ChatGPT and AI in education. We will also be recording a live Shifting Schools podcast with anyone who wants to join us. We will be in room 406 at 2 p.m. on March 23rd. That's right at the end of the conference. Thank you to NCCE for sponsoring Shifting Schools and giving us a space to record a live episode. If you're going to the conference, please make sure you stop by and say hi. And if you can join me at 2 p.m. in room 406, we'll be part of the podcast and we'd love to have you. We'll be talking about trends during the conference, aha moments, and just our takeaways and what's happening in education today. If you can't make it to the conference, make sure you follow using the hashtag, hashtag NCCE23 on Twitter and be listening for that episode after the conference. Again, that's ncce.org, and that offer code is SHIFTINGSCHOOLS50. Of course, it's all in the show notes as well. And just a quick reminder that all our podcast listeners can save $25 when they use the code SSPOD25 at checkout on any of our courses. Our five-day AI challenge and Trisha's stellar, the intersection of AI and equity, are both for sale at the moment. With the discount code, you get either one for 74 bucks. We send you an email with a link to the slide deck that includes everything you need to implement it in your school. A built-in reflective journal, a facilitator's guide, and videos walking you through the process. In fact, I just took our five-day challenge and used it in a PD training at a school district. So many great ways to use these resources. Don't forget that $74 for a site license. You are allowed and encouraged to give every teacher in your building their own copy. You don't have to go to a website. There's no logging in. We literally just give you the file to share within your school. It comes in both Google Slides and PowerPoint format. And of course, we're here to support you every step of the way. So use that code SSPOD25 
and start supporting the shift in your school around generative AI. That's sspod25 at shiftingschools.com. All right, with that, here is Jody, a international educator talking about self-regulation and understanding our sensory systems through education and specifically as a physical education teacher. With that, I'm so excited to share this with you on with the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. I'm excited to be here with my co-host, Trisha, and our guest today, Jody, all the way from Germany. Uh, it's great to have her here today. We're going to be talking uh, about some of the work that she's doing around the PE classroom. So Jody, welcome to the podcast. Trisha, welcome as well. It's always great to see you. Uh, I always say it's kind of funny because you and I have literally been on calls all morning together and then we have to pretend like this is the first time we've seen each other on the podcast. So a little behind the scenes there of how this actually works. But it's great. I'm still excited, Jeff. I'm, yeah, still, I'm still excited, excited to see you again. Here, right? And it's great to be here with Jody. You know, Jody, you've taught in a lot of different places. You know, you've taught in the US, in China, the UK, and you're currently living in Germany. Can you talk a bit about how your thoughts on what makes for an inclusive PE classroom has shifted in part due to the work you've done across cultures, continents, uh, and being parts of different teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Uh, very comprehensive. So, um, yeah, I've been in, in many different places and many different teams. And um, actually, I didn't yet study uh, change theory until this year, which was fascinating, hmm. um, embracing new cultures and new experiences. And I think something that is stands true and wherever you are is is that parents want the best for their kids and they have the best of intentions in terms of providing the right environment and providing the right um yeah for everything and as an educator i think i've always sought to do that um no matter where i am and in certain schools obviously uh, the demands can be quite high in terms of uh, much more in the higher in the older students um but for me it's really about creating an environment for the kids where they feel psychologically safe, they feel mm. like they belong, they feel like their 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 feelings are validated. Um, and especially in PE, where some children might not feel successful physically, they can still feel like they can come to my room and feel successful being, um, you know, across all different ways as a leader, contributor. Um, and they can shine and still find joy in movement. So that's been something that I've really tried to harness no matter what environment I've been in. And, you know, I, I think your point about psychological safety, it dawns on me that the PE classroom is perhaps one of those subject areas that maybe it matters more than others. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about just the way what you are like quote unquote working on is visible in ways that in other subject areas it might not be mm -hmm. um and you know uh sherry spellick who is also a pe educator in germany i'm, I'm sure you know uh, she's got a phenomenal newsletter called bending the arc and she talks a lot about how the pe classroom is maybe the most interesting classroom to think more about mm -hmm. equity and mm -hmm. we invited you on in part um, because of a guest post that you authored for the Phys Equity blog that's entitled Self-Regulation and Understanding Our Sensory Systems, an Inclusive Approach to Early Years PE. 
listeners, it's an outstanding read. Please have uh, have a look at it. The link to it will be in our show notes. Jody, in that post, you talk about schools being, quote, sensory rich and how that can be a challenge for young learners. Um, and of course, what's great is you address how we can meet that challenge. Can you talk to us about how that understanding has really shifted your practice, what having that awareness might mean in your PE classroom? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think my practice has shifted a lot um, over the years. I'm certainly not the educator I was coming, uh, you know, from the U.S. and then uh, after Germany, after China, um, and everywhere else I've taught. I think my practice has really shifted in thinking about what I feel is most important for for my kids and my students. And the first of all, first of all. For me, if a child comes into my gym and they do exactly what I want them to do and then they leave, yes, on the surface, it looks like that is all well and good. But for me, I kind of, I really, it's really important to me that a child comes in and they feel not necessarily successful, but they feel validated. They feel, okay, I'm allowed to feel upset. I'm allowed to feel a little bit dysregulated. I'm allowed to feel um, tired. And sort of honoring that gives kids, I think, the freedom to then, you know, again, I could build that relationship so they do feel connected to me. Um, Schools, yes, are very sensory rich. Coming out of COVID where kids were at home with their families in very quiet, insular spaces, and then, you know, on screens. So obviously very sterile environment. Again, Mm. uh, don't even get me started on a whole tangent of how play has shifted and and kids aren't just digging in mud and, (laughs) and climbing trees, which obviously has a whole impact in terms of physical development. But um, thinking about, of course, then kids were back in school. And immediately, many educators noticed kids are not, they're standing too close to each other. Um, They can't handle all the noise, the sounds, the smells, the cafeteria. Um, It's, it, it is quite overwhelming for young children. And if their systems are sensitive to any of that sensory input, then their brain will be in a stressed state. And of course, when your brain is in a stressed state, it can't learn, Um, you know, that flight or flight response. Um, And I think my journey as an educator, I know now what I need to to be. And I often do when I present to this parent uh, workshop to parents, I often kind of take them on that journey of what do you need to be regulated? What do you need Mm -hmm. to focus? Because I think we often are thinking as a parent myself, I'm like, asking my son, what do you need? What do you need? And I think, actually, I need to model. Actually, it's really hard for me to sit for a long time. I need to move. My brain needs to move to, uh, my body needs to move before my brain can function. Um, I'm quite sensitive to smells and certain, I hate, you know, uh, you know, there's certain things that I have experienced on this journey, which now I hopefully can bring into the classroom and the gym. So kids can feel that they can be their best selves. And that doesn't mean, you know, they need to show me their best selves, but they can feel honored and appreciated in that way. It's so important. And, um, you know, I realize and recognize some folks will be listening to this conversation, perhaps like while they're driving, so they they can't pause and open up your article. And I know I can almost feel it that folks will be wondering like, okay, what Jody's talking about sounds great. And you know, not even just for young learners, but for us as adults, right? We also get dysregulated. Like I also find, um, you know, post COVID spending lots of time just at home, you're right. Like being in physical spaces with others initially felt like jarring, overwhelming. The first time I went to a restaurant, it was like, whoa, overload. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. can you just give us an example of 
a technique that you often might recommend either to parents and caretakers to help young learners self-regulate that might also be helpful for us. Um, you know, I'm thinking, Jeff, you and I were talking in, in trainings a year ago. Edutopia had this great YouTube series. You can Google it. It still exists. 60 second resets uh, mm -hmm. with some things that, again, we can do. One of the one of the ones they suggested was like 60 seconds, set a timer and push a wall, just lean against a wall, you know, uh, make sure it's a it's a fortified wall. It's a, it's a solid wall. <laughs> and it really is like I find even for myself, it's a great recess strategy. So do you have one that um, that you find is kind of your go to that you recommend very often? Oh, it's so hard to pick one. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's such an important thing that you mentioned that because what that is, is heavy work. And heavy work has a really soothing, uh, calming response to our nervous system. So you think about all this whole, I'm sure you, you might have one yourself, but heavy blankets are like heavy weighted blankets are mm -hmm. like the thing now. So many adults are like, I love my weighted blanket. It's the greatest thing. And so for me, anytime I see a behavior or I see anything, I'm always like, why? Why, why is that? So what, what do we need that for? Um, or, you know, any child, anytime they're you know, showing a behavior, what is the underlying cause of that? Um, if kids are covering their ears um, during a fire alarm, you know, it's, so it's like, what's happening actually? What is there? Is it, is there auditory sense, system sensitive to noise? So let's explore that a little bit more. Let's unpack that. Let's see if it manifests in different areas. Um, so I think the number one thing, what I really encourage families to do is have um, kids have a quiet space, even like a little tent or um, a space they can retreat to that, you know, for some households with multiple kids or dogs and all kinds of busyness, they have a space where they can kind of retreat and calm themselves, either with headphones, um, you know, you have kind of a soothing, you can have a visual, um, you know, like kind of those lava lamps, they have all kinds of sensory tools now um, that can be calming. Some kids, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm clicking my pen because I think, you know, I like, I'm like, okay, I got, it's like a fidget, right? Like, <laughs> remember the fidget spinners? Everybody went crazy yeah. for the fidget spinners. <laughs> but um, it's not, it's not, you know, it's very, it's, it's quite normal because kids gravitate to things they need. They naturally, seek out the things they need. And as educators, we want to kind of open that up and help them with them in a, in a way that's appropriate, socially appropriate. Um, but to, to really answer your question, I would say first and foremost would be creating that space where kids can just have it and shut it down and kind of block out noise or sound or vision or whatever it is. And, and, you know, and they can articulate when they feel like they need it. Cause that's a really mm. important part of the journey too. It's not just, oh, wow, I noticed your body's fidgety. You need a movement break. We start that as educators, but, but what I really want to see is a child start to take ownership of, oh yeah, I'm really noticing this because, because then they're going to start to understand their learning needs. And, it, you know, that's a whole different subject around like neurodiversity and understanding what they need to be successful, but that's part of the journey into adulthood. What, what do we need individually to be successful? Well, and I love that because I think that's also right. That our job as teachers is to start helping you understand what do you need? Uh, that self-advocacy piece that, Tricia, you talk about all the time. We just got done doing a, a webinar where we were talking about students being self-advocates for what they need in feedback, right? I'm wondering, too, also, Jody, um, being a PE teacher, we have seen this idea of physical education really transform. I mean, from the time I was in elementary school to what physical education looks like today, I feel like is such a transformation into what 
how we want students moving, how we want students understanding their body, how we want students understanding their noises and surroundings around them. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe just talk about, you know, this constant transition that I think we're really seeing in, in physical ed and where do you think this is headed? What do you think we need to be thinking about of educators of all subject areas, all grade levels around this idea of our physical spaces and physical education? Oh, wow. I could go a lot of different directions with this question, <laughs> but, but I think um, one thing that always stands out to me too, just as an adult, is anytime I walk into a meeting space, faculty meeting, it's always those same tables, those same chairs. It's kind of like, okay, I know I need to be standing in the back. You know, I know I need to be sitting in like maybe a wobble stool, uh, mobile seating. A lot of classrooms have flexible seating, adapt adaptations for kids who have you know, whatever they need. Um, uh, but it's just so funny as adults, you walk and he's like, well, yeah, this is exactly the same. It's like carbon copy from, you know, all of a sudden people forget that as an adult, I actually might like, you know, bean bag to sit on, or maybe I want to yeah. have a wobby stool. Um, I, I really think the beauty of the work now that, that again, in the early years, it's so collaborative. And for mm. me as an educator, as a PE educator, um, I really want to bring movement to the forefront of, you know, looking at kids through how, what is the physicality of early childhood learning? Um, we just did a presentation yesterday for our parent community with the PYP coordinator. And it was, um, I love this presentation because she talks to how it looks in the classroom. I talk to how it looks in PE. And then we talk mm. about how those natural collaborations, how those natural connections happen. So I'm looking at core strength, how it looks like, and then again, the trajectory of how it's going to play out as your child gets older. So again, making, looking for those connections and then collaborating. I think the work of teachers, if we collaborate in an authentic and meaningful way, just enhances kids' experiences. So, you know, they don't think that PE is just a silo and I stay in the gym sure. and that's it. So um, looking at movement really in a holistic um, concept-based way is, is really, I think, going to add more weight to its meaning. Gosh, you just reminded me of, um, you know, this is something at a former school that we would experiment with every once in a while. And it didn't meet, you know, it didn't work for every single meeting, but every once in a while, it was a small team of us. And we said, let's go for a meeting, you know, where we are walking. Mm. And again, we couldn't do it every single time, but when we were able to how that different environment, it was almost like hitting the reset button. Um, you know, it didn't feel like, okay, we're just in the grind of the routine of this is the Thursday, this is the time we meet. And that just that that little shift in our environment, it was it was really kind of like an awakening. And also it felt nice to be moving our bodies while we were mm -hmm. doing the work that needed to be done. And again, that's not like capital I innovation, but it did feel like innovation nonetheless. Yeah. I think sometimes as adults, we get in that grind when we're like meeting to meeting to meeting. And then all of a sudden I've got to the end of a day, you know, and I'm like, I've sat a lot. I mean, I don't, I mean, as an educator, I'm, I'm not in this job to sit. I could never sit in a day. <laughs> day. That would just kill me. And even when I start like report writing time, I'm like, I'm at a laptop for hours and I'm just I literally, it's, it's really hard for me. And I, and I just kind of think, okay, well, what's hard for kids then, you know? And I, and I just really want, you know, I, I really want us to, to know ourselves and kids to know themselves and know what they need. But yeah. And I think, you know, getting outside, connecting with the in nature. I mean, after COVID, I think we really kind of just did a, uh, you know, a really connection around our, our mental health and what we need. Um, and, 
know, the whole glorification of busy. Um, let's just try to teach kids to slow down a bit and, um, you know, get off devices because they're not going to necessarily, if I'm feeling sad, I'm going to get a device. It's a stimulant. It's not going to, um, you know, help me settle and relax. And so there's all kinds of different, you know, but it's, it's, we have to model that as parents too. It's so easy just to grab a, you know, a device and pluck away and, you know, so. 100%. I mean, we use our phones as distract to distract ourselves. You know, I think that it is what it is. And, and knowing and understanding that I think is so critical and helping kids understand that at an early age. And you just made me think, you know, this idea of physical spaces of teachers are on their feet, moving around all day. And then you go to a staff meeting in the library. And the last thing you want, it's my first time I get to sit all day. And you want me to sit in that hard little chair that's made for, you know, a fourth grader. I don't, I don't, really feel like that's my best choice right now. I would like a beanbag chair. <laughs> I want to be able to flop into a couch, you know, uh, at the end of those days. So it is, it does. It's amazing how much our, our surroundings and even choosing where and how uh, we move in those spaces, I think is, is very critical. Inside that blog post, you share a, a great resource around just sensory tips for teachers. And we'll link to it in the show notes. It's a Google Doc menu that has all kinds of sensory uh, tips for teachers. Can you walk us through maybe an example of one of those tips and how it plays out in the classroom? Um, absolutely. I think, um, again, the article talks about sort of our states of alertness, our states of arousal, and, you know, kind of sort of addressing whatever a child needs. So for example, you'll have kids come in, they've come off the bus in the morning, and they're just, they're just like, they're exhausted. So in that in that instance, you're going to want to kind of fire up their vestibular system. You want to fire up their, get them moving. Um, and, you know, lots of jumping, spinning, swinging. I mean, obviously in a classroom, this is going to have to be um, you know, sure. adapted, but just thinking about, uh, you know, a moving, moving in the morning. There's so much research around that early morning movement and how it sets kids up for the day. Um, we've shifted to have our recess outside in the morning just to kind of give kids that fresh mm -hmm. air and, um, and, and also just thinking about like, again, the opposite of kids come in and they're super overstimulated, then you have to give that, that heavy work again. So crab crawls, animal walks, um, you know, compression, like you talked about that idea of those wall pushups, you can do them even to your, you know, pressing your hands together and pushing. So you can even do that. So you don't necessarily need equipment pushing down into a chair. So there are some like ways that you can, you can give yourself that heavy input, um, and in a way, and I always like to let parents and educators know this doesn't need to be for hours and hours, you know, this is like a one, two minute thing. And then, you know, crab crawls, get your class to do a little circuit and then come back in, um, so that it can be something that's not going to be really, you know, impactful in terms of like, I'm going to, you know, but it's really still going to have that, um, you know, help the kids settle down. Hmm. I'm wondering, Jody, if some of those strategies or some of those tips that you suggest, um, again, you were mentioning just the highly collaborative nature of early years. Do you see some of your colleagues also uh, kind of leaning into some of those strategies? Because I'm thinking, you know, also it's, you know, we, we get dysregulated in all subject areas, right? At all different times of the day. So is it something that you, you've shared with, with peers and they've also given you some feedback on how they're using it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my roles, I feel like, because 
is to work so closely with teachers in supporting kids with movement and movement needs. And movement needs meaning, you know, they need movement. Movement needs meaning they're struggling with their fine and gross motor. So for example, their shoulder girdle, their shoulder girdle muscles are quite weak. Um, I might notice that in PE um, and they might have that, they might have more attention to noticing their handwriting or their, you know, fine motor skills are Mm. quite poor. So then we have that collaborative discussion. Actually, I really noticed this child's having difficulty with their shoulder girdle. How is that manifesting in the classroom? And so again, those conversations then, you know, I was even part of parent conferences this year with many teachers and, and talking to parents and saying, this is what we're, this is how you're, we're seeing your child. And this is how we're both going to work together to support them. So this is what I'm doing. And this is what she's doing. And, and Mm. so parents are really, I think, quite grateful in terms of like, wow, we see this and this is how we're going to, the next steps we're going to do, you know, moving forward. Um, So that's really how I, I love to work because again, I don't necessarily think come to PE, do your thing and leave. Um, Mm -hmm. when I'm there for teachers and supporting them, um, being part of student study meetings, being part of, uh, you know, discussions all the time about next steps for kids. It's so important. We had talked a lot about occupational therapy. Um, and sometimes I think people are quite quick to go to occupational therapy, but there's a, a whole bunch of scaffolding that teachers can provide before they start to reach that, you know, grab for the OT intervention. Sure. And I'm wondering, you know, again, that's that sounds so powerful, again, having multiple teachers in that conference with parents and caretakers explaining that. Uh, But Jody, of course, even when you were just mentioning like the crab walk and the animal walk um, for parents and caretakers who maybe they hear you say that and they're like, "Mm, I don't. I don't know if I know what what that means. How have some of those strategies been communicated or demonstrated even for parents and caretakers at your school? Uh, That's a great question. So, I mean, I have I do a lot of parent education, uh, even on my seesaw posts. So um, that's our, you know, the way we communicate with our families. So instead of saying, okay, we did X, Y and Z this week, I might say that we're working on our core. So we're doing this, you know, flying superhero. And this is something you can do at home. And we'll have a video of it. So I always kind of I don't necessarily share I share what we're doing. But I also want to share the underlying reason of why we're doing it and then give Mm. family strategies as well. Um, one of the things I, you know, I always think, okay, what can I do next? What can I do next? And I really would like to create kind of a video, uh, a video logs, video diaries of, of these movements. So I can share with families, especially for families that don't necessarily have English as their primary language. So that, you know, for me, I'm thinking, how can I access, how can they access this information? We had when, during our pre- presentation yesterday, we actually had our, um, we have a quite a high percentage of Korean families at our school. So we had our Korean liaison there and she listened and she didn't necessarily directly translate, but at the end she was there as a resource to talk to families and kind of talk them through some of the questions they might have. So it's always thinking like, how can I provide this information, not only to English speaking families, but like in an international setting, make it accessible for everyone. So yeah, visually translating however we can, I'm I'm on board. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And what a brilliant use of Seesaw as well. So I know that many of our listeners will also be familiar with that. But I I think just, you know, what you mentioned about that idea of showing and explaining the why, because I'm sure that that, um, you know, the the superhero, the suspended superhero, like, sure, it's fun, but there also is, uh, and fun is important too, but there's also some other uh, tangential region reasons for doing that. Thanks so much for sharing that, Jody. And if you get that like visual library up, like I could see it. I know that Jeff has ideas too. Like 
what a really great like Instagram series yeah. or a TikTok yeah. series. Uh, Especially if you get, for parents. Right. If you get you that know? together, please do let us know because um, like I could add to my library of animal and crab walks too. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know. That's the hard part is that you always kind of, you know it, but that you also want to make sure you're being clear and, you know, under, the yeah. parents are understanding, mm-hmm. you know, it's not for 30 minutes. It's, you know, for 10 meters, you know, it is always like, how much do I want to overshare? Do I want to be, so it's always, I'm trying to tweak that, but yeah, that the video library is a goal. We'll, we'll see. Watch the space. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you, Jody, for, for spending some time and sharing your, your wisdom with us. Uh, it's so great to have on and really focused on, you know, you focused a lot on early years, but of course this goes through, you know, all grade levels, which I love, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a huge part of it. If people want to learn more about you or want to follow you or want to reach out, where's the best place for them to be able to do that? Um, I mean, I have my website, but I, I definitely, um, uh, that's more aspirational in terms of my blog posts. Um, <laughs> right now, I think Twitter is my first, uh, I'm building in term, terms of uh, my connections with uh, you know, my personal learning network and it's been great. And I'm really, really so happy to be able to just connect with, especially early years professionals and, and talk shop and gosh, I can talk education forever, but, um, but yeah, so Twitter is probably the best way to, to connect. Awesome. And we'll make sure that link is in the show notes as well. Trisha, how about you? If people want to hear more about, uh, a lot of the frameworks that you're making around self advocacy, both in the physical education classroom and other classrooms, what's the best way for, for people to follow you and get those resources? Well, you know, uh, by the time this episode airs, we will, of course, be looking at launching new free guides for 2023. And I love when people reach out and let us know what they need. So actually, if you check out shiftingschools.com, the free guides, I'm going to go really old school and say, send me an email. Let's have a longer conversation. <laughs> you can email me at Trisha, T-R-I-C-I-A at shiftingschools.com. Let me know if there's something that you have liked from our free resource library and you want more of it. Let me know if there's something you didn't like and you want us to avoid doing that again. Um, or again, if you're if you're looking for support in a completely new path of inquiry, uh, if, if Jeff and I can support you, that's that's what Shifting Schools is here for. And what about you, Jeff? How how what's your communication preferred methodology for folks that want to connect with you? Oh uh, well, you can find me everywhere on the internet uh, at JUTech. So you can always do that. Or my email is Jeff at shiftingschools.com. But I also, for those of you in 2023 that might be jumping Twitter, because we know this is all the rage right now, I am now over on Mastodon, same place uh, at JUTech. So you can follow me over there. Uh, starting to get a following over there. There's a great education server, Mastodon.education. Uh, if you're looking for a place to get started uh, offside, outside of Twitter, uh, a great community focused on education over there. You kind of get rid of all the stuff and, and just get to talk at tech. So uh, some good stuff going on over there as well. So you can find me over there as well. We'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Jody, thank you for staying up late. I know it's 8, 9 p.m. in Germany. So appreciate you. Uh, putting in the long hours today. And the thing I love though, Trisha, is every time we get to talk to educators, the passion, you know, the true passion that comes through, like you can get an educator at three in the morning and their passion of just <laughs> teaching comes through. I love it. Uh, Jody, thank you so much for bringing that today. I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, thank you so much. Yeah. And, and, and being on Twitter and we'll make sure that uh, we have all that in the show notes for people. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I really, really love talking with you guys. Thank you so much. 